The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, in the uh, two-hour power service that we had, my, my, my sermon focused on how our baptism unites us to Christ's life and death and resurrection. The epistle reading from last Sunday was drawn from Romans 6, where St. Paul says we are baptized into Christ. We participate with him in our baptism. And we saw in the gospel lesson that Christ was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, that is, to begin the work of the Christ and to provide the pattern that all of our baptisms follow. And I mentioned last week's sermon at the start of this morning's sermon, not because we're going to do that all over again, but from now until the start of Lent, each Sunday is going to connect with the preceding Sundays before it. Specifically, I'm going to be preaching from the epistle lesson for the next several weeks. In other words, we're going to have a sermon series, you could say, on the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's uh, not often, not, not all the time, it's kind of unusual, actually, for any of the lectionary readings to continually march through one of the books of the Bible. Usually they hop around and you have selected passages, but in this case, we have this opportunity to soak in one text for several weeks. And here's how 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, our text for this morning, connects with last week. St. Paul says near the end of today's text, remember, baptism joins us to Christ, right? Paul says at the end of today's text that God has joined us into the fellowship of Christ, or you could say the communion of Christ. This is not something abstract that we experience immediately. And I use that word in a technical sense, as in directly from God to us in a spiritual fashion without anything else to point to. Like, oh, I just feel a ray of God's pleasure on me. He's just brought me into the fellowship of his son. And I can't really point to anything. It's just except for this feeling that I have. That's, that's not the way that God does it. God uses means. He does, he connects us. He joins us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in a mediate as opposed to immediate way. And the medium that he uses is that awesome word, baptism. The very fact that we dwelt on last week is what St. Paul wants the Corinthians to have in mind at the outset of his letter to them. So we are in a good spot to start 1 Corinthians. We're fresh off 
thinking about baptism and what that means for us. And so this morning, here's the main point. I want us to receive this truth. If you're a note taker, this is when you click that pen and write this down. Make sure you get this. Just like the Corinthian church, we are not lacking in any spiritual gift while we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ to, to the world. Again, just like them, we're not lacking in any gift. You might think, really? Not lacking in any gift? I feel like I'm lacking in a few. You might think your pastor is lacking in a few gifts. That's fine. The truth is, we are not lacking in any gift. And we're going to see what that means in a second here. We're in the season of Epiphany now. Epiphany means appearance. Sometimes we use the word to mean a revelation. Like, I just had an epiphany, right? It's like insight makes itself known to you. Ah, now I finally understand this thing. And in this season, the one that follows the Christmas season, the church focuses on Jesus appearing in human form to the world, like we just sang about. So the thematic elements, the, the biblical narratives that are often focused on in this time of the church year, the visitation of the Magi to the infant Lord and the Holy Family. Jesus teaching in the temple as a young boy, right? I preached on that last year. His family leaves and he's still there. And they're like, what are you doing? How could you stay here? We were worried sick about you. And Jesus just says, I have to be in Jerusalem. It's my destiny. What are you talking about? There's also the miracle at the wedding at Canaan and Galilee where Jesus turns like some insane quantity, like 160 gallons, I think or maybe even more, of water into the best wine the world has ever seen. He appears to the world as the Son of God. That's what we focus on in this season. And all these things share that, that theme. The Messiah who was born into the world as a cute little baby is starting to be perceived by the world. He's starting to appear in the world. When St. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he expected the Lord Jesus to return at any given moment, like definitely within his own lifetime. I think later, it's in this letter. We're not going to get there. We're only going to get into the first part of chapter 3. But I think it's to the Corinthians that he says, listen, if you're not married yet, don't get married. Unless, like, you absolutely have to. I mean, if you're already married, don't, like, stop that. But everybody should just be focused on the Lord. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on the gospel. Because Jesus is coming back soon. We don't have time for any of this other stuff. Paul thought Jesus was coming back, like, like he was expecting a guest to arrive for dinner. And this is why he mentions to the Corinthians that they're not lacking in any gift of God while they wait for Jesus to be revealed. For Paul, and really for the church throughout history, even though it's been 2,000 years now, we've always expected Jesus to come back soon. He says, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming soon. And that's what we do in the meantime, we wait. We wait for him to be revealed, just like he was at the wedding at Canaan Galilee, just like he was when the wise men sought him out, right? The kings from the east. One day again, he will be revealed in glory and power. And it won't be just a few magi who see him and honor him. And that day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that waiting for Jesus part for Paul here is the last link in this chain with Three lakes, you could say. The first thing is God's grace. And that's kind of a churchy word, I guess. You know, in the church, we kind of have some insider language. Another way to explain that is God's undeserved favor, his gifts. We didn't earn 
we, we don't merit them in any way, and he just gives it anyway. God's grace was given to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not through any way that we would like to find. It's not the case that all roads lead to God. God gives his grace in one person, Jesus Christ. And this results for believers in Jesus in this enrichment in all speech and in all knowledge with the result that believers are not lacking in any gift as we wait. Now, if you're like me, you're completely on board with the first part of that. Okay, yes, God's grace was given to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you start to get to like the, we're enriched in all speech and enriched in all knowledge. And I got to tell you, there are often times when I feel like I need more knowledge and more speech for the job that I do. Because like every week, I got to do this again. I could always use more speech and all knowledge, God. I feel like I don't have enough. It doesn't mean that all believers in Jesus become theologians or become public speakers about the faith. What it means is that from the aged all the way down to the children, the community of the church learns things like the Lord's Prayer, learns to thank God before meals, learns things like the Apostles' Creed, memorizes verses like the Lord is my shepherd, right? The things we say the things that we know are made rich and full with God's word. Now, okay, so we're a little bit more on board with that. But the not lacking in any spiritual gift thing, that's where I think we have some issues. We're skeptical about that because it often feels like we could use more grace and more wisdom and more power and love and patience and more love, and even more favor from God because things are not going well right now for us. Maybe. You might be a little annoyed, honestly, or even a little insulted at the idea that you already have everything you need. You don't lack any spiritual gift because we're all dealing with things. And I think we all are scared of letting people really in to where we're struggling. So it might seem like, oh, we're pretty fine. We're doing all right. Um, or I can just like handle this myself. But if it's a health issue or if it's a relationship thing or a financial problem or trauma, something that just happened to you that you feel like you don't know how to deal with, for me to stand up here and say, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift might make me sound like I'm kind of out of touch or like this one isn't for you today. But I'm convinced that it is for you. So just bear with me. I can remember back to some of the darkest, angriest, loneliest days of my life. Fresh out of college, newly married, dealing with miscarriage. Nikki and I walking that hard, hard road. 
I heard this sermon on, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, actually. Uh, I thank God. I, I rejoice in my weaknesses and my trials, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I just about spat the taste of that sermon out of my mouth. So while we're on that note, if you ever hear me say something like that and it makes you feel sick, that's okay. It's okay to be mad at me. It's okay to be mad at God. What this text from 1 Corinthians doesn't mean is that there's no reason for you to feel like you need more grace or more love or hope, patience, deliverance, or goodness in your life. It doesn't mean you shouldn't feel a lack of any of those things because you've got it all already, so stop being such a baby, stop being such a whiner. That's not it at all. That's, that's, that's not what this is saying. What it is saying is that the grace and the love and the hope and patience and all of that stuff that we feel like we need, that we are seeking, those things aren't kept under a lock and key unavailable to us. Paul is talking about availability. God has done incredible things, even giving up his own beloved son to death on a cross, the most horrible death that humans have ever devised, to provide the means by which grace is delivered to you. Let me ask you, do you think that God would go to all of the trouble of redeeming us just to then hold back the benefits of that from us? Jesus died for us, wipes our sins away, removes the record of our guilt, and yet now we've got to jump through a series of hoops or complete an obstacle course or make an application in order to receive a good conscience, to receive power and encouragement for our lives, to receive all those things. Or do you think it's the case that God, who so richly gave his own son for us, will continue giving us everything we need as we ask for it and as we need it? Which of those is more likely from a God who loved you so much that he didn't spare his only son for you. All that's required of us is to simply receive the grace that God gives in faith. And we call these the means of grace, kind of the, the technical term for these. And there are three of them. Holy baptism, by which the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you and creates and then continues to sustain faith in your heart, purifying you from the stain of sin and giving you Christ's perfect righteousness. Anybody have a guess to where I'm going next? Holy Communion, in which our Lord Jesus Christ feeds us his very own body and blood with the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. And the third one is the word of God in every way that we encounter it. In preaching, in prayer, in Sunday school, in adult Bible study, in Wednesday night confirmation, in conversations with a friend or a family member. In those little bits of scripture you might hear like on Caleb or KTIS or whatever Christian radio station you might listen to. The word of God comes to us in all kinds of ways. And it's not more powerful or somehow more the word of God when your pastor says it to you. God gives grace upon grace upon grace to us. In so many ways. Paul explains it to the Roman church this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not stingy with his grace for you. So this is starting to reframe the you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. It's not a statement about how much giftedness you enjoy in your day-to-day life. It means there's nothing held back from you. There's no forgiveness that you cannot ask for. There's no cleansing of a conscience that you shouldn't expect from God. There's no encouragement that is unavailable to you from God's word. It's all yours to receive. God gives us grace in so many ways, and they're ways that we can depend on in the sense that they're outside of ourselves. We, God's grace to us doesn't depend on how firmly we are convinced of its truthfulness or how, in the case of forgiveness, how forgiven we feel, how much we feel like we deserve forgiveness. Like, it's that same sin, God, that same one I've been fighting all my life. And it was... You know, Saturday night, one of the last interactions you had, maybe, before going to sleep. And then you wake up and come to church on Sunday, and you hear this nice, lofty language about God and his love for you, graciously gives his son for you. And sometimes, I've been there, you feel like, that's that's not for me. I don't qualify for that. I'm not really, I haven't really gotten right with God yet. I got to do something else first before I can hear the words of forgiveness. And I, as your pastor, who loves you, would have you kindly knock that off. This promise of forgiveness, the promise of God's love, the promise that God takes delight in you and has made you perfect and righteous and clean is yours. Without any extra work on your part. Through water, through bread and wine, Through the voice of your pastor proclaiming Jesus' own words of forgiveness and love to you, God gives you grace and grace and grace. So it is true that you don't lack in any gift while we wait, because all these gifts are here for the taking. But it's not the kind of thing where, like, um, you know, like if we just just pass through Christmas, right? And so you get a gift and you open it, and it's kind of like a one-time thing. I've got the gift now, you know, uh, I got some great new wool socks at Christmas. You might chuckle and you might laugh, but you know, that new sock feeling. I know you're all with me on that. I see those smiles. It's okay. But I got that gift and eventually, as happens with all socks, (laughs) I'm going to need more of them. They don't last forever. What happens then? Well, I'm going to have to get more. And it's like that with God's grace, except for that happens on a much shorter time scale. Sometimes we need more grace. You know, if this service ends at 11, we're going to need more grace at 1140. We're going to need more grace at 1115. You might need more grace now. We always need more grace because we leak and we're weak. And life beats us down. It's a good thing we do this every week because y'all, we need this every week. Life beats us down. Our sins lead us to doubt God's love for us. And Satan would drive us into isolation and shame. Like, we're the only ones. Everyone else at church is way holier than I am. They've got their life together. I mean, look at them. Look at how those kids sit in the pew. Look at how, whatever it might be. Look at how they take notes. 
look at how he's attentive to the pastor. I'm not looking at anybody in particular because I didn't want to freak you out. I'm looking at the little bulletins hanging on the wall in the lobby. We've been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. We're not alone, and Satan cannot drive us into isolation because God has called us into a fellowship. You hear me? St. Paul wouldn't have a lot of time for the idea that your faith is something just really between you and God. It's this private thing because there's one fellowship. There's one son, the Lord Jesus Christ, one person who did the work for all of us. And we are all called into that one fellowship, which means you and I are in a fellowship, not only with Christ, but with each other. We are members of him and members of each other, and we are not alone. And in the church, that is messy. Because we all know this, and if you don't know this from your own experience yet, just take my word for it, that not everybody who comes to a church service likes each other. Let's just be real honest about that. We can't all get along. But somehow, that that just heightens the mystery, heightens the glory of what the gospel is. That we are all drawn together by the one Lord Jesus Christ into this fellowship where we all are partakers of grace. Where we all receive God's love. And that love is so powerful that it fills us up and spills out onto other people in a way that we could not muster up ourselves. And we're still sinners. We still mess this up. We don't do this great. But there is no community like the church. There should be no community like the church. There are a lot of people who are hurt bad by churches. There are a lot of people who are abused by pastors, who are hurt by factions in churches that end up driving people away. And that stuff sucks, to put it mildly. And I pray that our church is delivered from all of that, is kept away from that. Think about that the next time you're praying. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver our church from evil, God. So that our church can be a place where we enjoy goodness and we enjoy love and grace together. Now I'm kind of going in reverse order. I said life beats us down. Our sins would have us believe that we can't really be forgiven and Satan would drive us into shame. So we're, we're rewinding this here as we close. We're not driven into shame because we're called into a fellowship. Our sins have no claim against us any longer because the Jesus that we are waiting for is the one who will establish or preserve us, sustain us to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it's common for us to have doubts about like when Jesus returns, am I like, Ugh, am I actually going to be like one of the saints? Or is it going to turn out that I've like sinned too much? What if Jesus comes back and I'm right in the middle of a sin? Well, that's a good warning to you. But scripture promises he will sustain you to the end. He started this work. He's going to finish it. So that on the day when he returns, when we are done waiting for him to be revealed, we are also going to be revealed as perfectly righteous with no sins to speak of. And the last thing, life does beat us down. But God is faithful. He called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he will keep you in it. We can count on him. Amen. 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 Amen.
The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.